Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. This is the, the final week of a bit of a four-week walk through some of our underlying goals that make up City Light Church. So we wanted to, as we were starting, look at, as City Light Church, North Adelaide, what is it that we're about? What is it that we're trying to do? So we've been looking over the last few weeks. Firstly, we looked at how we want to engage culture with the gospel of Jesus. And that's that we don't want to run from the world and we don't just want to accept all that the world puts forward as a good idea, but we want to engage with what the world is saying and doing. We want to engage in that space with the gospel about Jesus Christ. And then we looked at how we want to make disciples. Uh, that's We want to help people to discover Jesus. We want to help people to grow in Jesus. And ultimately, we want to help disciples make more disciples. Then last week, we looked at how we want to train leaders, and that is for that mission, to make more and more disciples. And then this week, we're looking at multiply communities. So looking at the big idea that we want more communities of Christians doing life together. And so that will look like discipleship groups, that will look like new churches, that will look like uh, new uh, Christian gatherings of mission and people hanging out together. But we believe that in the command to go, part of that was not just go, but go and make disciples. And so there's going to be more and more disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can gather uh, as your church to uh, hopefully hear from your word, Lord. And I pray that in this time that you would come and speak to us by your spirit, that you would build us up. God, we ask that uh, we would be open to what it is that you want to teach us, Lord, that you would be um, working amongst us, that uh, through this message, Lord, just uh, my human words, that you would take them and, and bring us a message that is of you and of your own, and the things that are just of me, Lord, uh, make them fall away and not stay in our, our heads, Lord. But we ask that you would be glorified. Amen. So I want to start by showing you how God has been calling his people to multiply from the beginning of time. And then I just want to briefly walk through some of Scripture's history to look at the call on God's people to multiply, to be fruitful, to make disciples, and how it's more than just making babies. But I also want to show you that the purpose of this multiplication is so that God would get more glory. That's why he says multiply, so he would get more glory. So in the Old Testament, when God's people were, were recognized or were distinct because they were a literal nation, multiplying was, in one sense, about making that nation bigger, i.e. have more babies, conquer more land. But now what is distinctive about God's people is that they are followers of Jesus. They are the church. And so our call now to multiply disciples is that same call to multiply God's people, to grow God's people. But, but how does the multiplying of communities and, 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 and of disciples and of people, and uh, I want to put forward churches as well, communities of Christians, how does that honour Jesus? Ultimately, it's this. It's more people following Jesus means more people glorifying Jesus. We multiply... And we believe it's such an important thing that we want to be about, ultimately because we as a people were made to image and reflect the glory of God, to bring God glory. When we live as his people, 
we bring him more glory. When we image and reflect him, we show his glory. Not that we are kind of glorious within ourselves, but we are living out his glory. Isaiah 43, 1-7 says this. It says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I gave... I gave Egypt as your ransom, Kash and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honoured and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, I will gather you up. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The key part of this text for us today is this part. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We were created for the glory of God. And that's why again and again God calls us to do everything for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 uh, says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We liked it so much we chucked it on the wall. All of life is meant to be lived to God's glory. And these verses, uh, this Isaiah and uh, the Corinthians and, and Matthew, uh, these are not just like a recommendation that is given or like these are not just some sort of idea to earn some favour with God. They're actually a command or a call to align our lives with his eternal goal. He created us for his glory. So we don't do these things to make God love us. We don't do these things because... It seems like it might be a nice way to get some heaven points, reach 5,000 or whatever. But we do these things, we live for God's glory because he created us to live for his glory. God's goal in creating us wasn't simply friendship, although God is a really good friend to us. And it wasn't simply so that he would have someone to love, like I saw this video, uh, really, really, you wouldn't know this about me, clearly it's not that obvious, but I'm a, an emotional guy, and uh, it was one of these videos doing the rounds on Facebook that just should not make you actually emotional, but if you're like me, you watch it and you get a little bit teary. There's this little boy in Tasmania who knit his own teddy bear because he couldn't afford a teddy, he wanted to give someone a teddy bear and they couldn't afford a teddy bear, so he made them a teddy bear, and now this kid like makes hundreds of teddy bears and gives them to kids in hospital, and yeah, I cried, all right, just a little bit. Just a little bit. It could be the lack of sleep from the seven-month-old, but I'm going to put it down to that. But in the same, like that, that kid made those teddies for someone to love. God didn't make us 
He didn't kind of, we're not his eternal teddy bears made just so he would have someone to love. God didn't need us just to have someone to love, although he does love us. Within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, God has a perfect loving community. So he didn't need to make us to be friends. He didn't need to make us to have someone to love. He did it for his glory. I created you for my glory. I formed you. I made you. That's what that Isaiah says. And this, honestly, some people would hear this and they might think to themselves, you know what, it sounds like God is actually a little bit up himself. I made you for my glory. But he's not. And in fact, he is the only one who can tell people to worship him, who can say, give me glory and can do it from a pure heart. Because he is the only one who deserves the glory. And also, human life is most fulfilling when lived to his glory. He made us. He knows how life should be. And he made us to be worshippers or glorifiers of him. And so when we are working properly, glorifying him fully with all of our lives is when our life is working most properly and when it will be most fulfilling. All of our lives are lived for someone or something, and we would call that that worship. Worship is like standing here and and singing, but worship is also the outpouring of ourselves, what we live for, what we strive for, what we value. Nothing will satisfy us until we live our lives for God and his glory, because it's what we were made to do. He made life, he designed it, he knows how it works best. And so, we multiply so that there are more people glorifying God. And this, this command to, to multiply has been with God's people from the beginning of time. If you uh, come with me on a bit of a journey, we're going to start in Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, let us, Trinity, make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seeds in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. We get the idea. It's everything. And it was so, and God saw that everything he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. God's command to Adam and Eve was this. I've given you everything. I've given you everything. Be fruitful and multiply. They were told to fill the earth and subdue it. Take this planet, this gift that I have given to you, and I put you in this garden, right? And, and we hear in the very start of Genesis that the rest of the planet was basically uh, a, a, an unkempt wilderness. And he says, I've, I've put you in this beautiful garden. I want you to take dominion of the earth. 
multiply, fill it, take dominion, make the rest of the earth like this garden. Make it reflect my glory. Make it beautiful. And we know that they exchanged God's glory, doing his will for their own. And we have the fall. And so we have uh, several generations after that, and, and God says, you know what, this, these people, let's wipe them out. And he starts again with Noah and his family. And so uh, the flood comes, Noah and his family are on the ark, and uh, they go through all that ordeal, which, if you think about it, was pretty crazy. And then it lands. They come out the ark. God comes and speaks to Noah and his family, and, he's, and it says this in Genesis 9.1. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so God started again with his people, and skip forward a few hundred years. God started again with his, his people. He brought them out of Egypt. He made them into a nation. He ruled them with judges and kings. And then he sent them into exile because they weren't reflecting his glory. They weren't living for him. But then we find in Jeremiah, God says, even in exile, you are to be my people. Be God's people. Glorify him wherever you are. In exile, God's command to his people through the prophet Jeremiah was this. Jeremiah 29, 4-7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. I just want to pause in this text for a minute. We're going to uh, look at Jesus and Acts in a sec, but uh, the entire book of First uh, Peter describes Christians as exiles. And so we find some parallels and some similarities uh, between our state in the world and what the people of Israel from Jeru- uh, Jerusalem were going through at the time. Those who are in Christ, it is said, belong to God's kingdom. And those who are in Christ are exiles living here on earth, just as the Israelites were living in exile in Babylon. And so this command, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you, multiply there, I think it, there's some things that we can pull for this for ourselves in our own living out our own faith here in this city that we've been sent to, that we're living in as God's elect people. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. I think one thing that Christians have been guilty of, and, and not all Christians, but Christians in general have been guilty of, is this. is Sometimes we can treat the church like the only thing that matters in the city. Like we're kind of almost just like gathering people together in a holy huddle until the rapture happens or whatever your theology around end times is and, and we all disappear up into the sky, which is not how I think it's going to go down, but anyway... Like, we, we just kind of gather in our holy huddles and shield ourselves from the rest of the world or the rest of the city, waiting for heaven. Or we think that the big idea is to just gather people into our buildings and our space 
and just to kind of have more people around us so we feel more secure. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with more people coming into church. In fact, that's definitely one of the aims. But too much Christians live only for their own community and not for the city that they live in that they're sent to. I think we need to live for our city, and that's partly being a witness. But the command to them was to pray for the city, to seek the welfare of the city. How much would the city of Adelaide, and specifically for us, North Adelaide and the places we live, how much would they notice if we weren't here? Are we so seeking the welfare of the city we're in exile in that they would miss us if we were gone? Or would our city, the people we're sent to, celebrate if the church disappeared? Are we living, are we seeking the welfare of the city we've been sent to? Uh, What could we be praying to Jesus for Adelaide about? I just want to throw some suggestions, there's many things, I'll throw some suggestions out there. Uh, It's continued peace. We are living in an unusually, ridiculously peaceful place and time in history in Adelaide. We think this is normal to to have the peace that we have in this city, but it's not if you look through human history and even what's happening in other parts of the world. We should pray that that continues. We should pray for the salvation of people in our city. We should pray for our city. I think it wouldn't be too far to say we should pray for prosperity and jobs for people in our city as a whole. To care about the welfare of others in our city. I think we should pray for community in our city. Yes, definitely our church community and we should be praying for other churches too. But even just cohesiveness and community in our city that people would love one another. And hopefully we could take the lead in that as the church. Ultimately, this seeking of the welfare of the city that we've been sent to itself is an act of multiplication. Because when you get out amongst the people that actually have contact with them, you are a better witness, a better advocate, a better example of Christ, better able to share the gospel. If we all kind of got really busy with church and spent seven nights a week here and all quit our jobs and just spent all our time here, we'd probably, I don't know, probably kill each other. We'd probably get bored, right? I don't know. It would, it would either like kill each other or really praise God or something. But we'd go nuts. But no one would hear the gospel. There's nothing wrong with getting really heavily involved in church things. But I would encourage us to get involved with neighborhood things as well, where we live and and in the things around us. Most of Christianity, most of discipleship as well to other Christians, we can, we can get up and, and we, can have, we can have sermons from the front and, and hopefully we have great sermons from the front and, and I'm working on that and trying to do my part. But most of Christianity is, is caught more than taught. Most of your discipleship, if you think about it, there might be some key pivotal sermons that you picked up some really great insights and, and hopefully that person was, was speaking from the Bible when they did that. Um, there might be some really great moments you can point to, but I would say most of your discipleship probably actually came from, from one-on-one or one-on-small group contact. And so in the same way that most of discipleship is caught when you spend time with other Christians, 
a lot of evangelism happens not through like seeing a billboard as you drive down the road, but by having direct contact with a Christian. There are some people who've like gone to a hotel room and picked up a Bible and found Jesus and praise God that that happens and I pray that that would happen more. But that's, most people, that's not their story. Most people is that a Christian took the time to get involved in their life. And so I think that more gospel multiplication will happen as we seek the welfare and live in our city because hopefully more people will come into contact with faithful, maturing, discipling Christians. So uh, all the kind of little glimpses of history, and these are just really brief that we've covered so far, have been before Jesus, the Son of God, entered into human history. Um, We know that he did enter in, he came, he lived, he died, he lived again, and then he gave the Great Commission. Kind of breaks my heart to spend such a small amount of time on Jesus' life there, but we're going to go really deep on other weeks. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples. So he's saying this to his disciples. Disciples, go and make disciples. That Multiply yourselves. Be fruitful. Multiply. Make disciples. Make them, then teach them everything that I've commanded, which would involve that command. So he's saying, make them, teach them the command to make more disciples and everything else. And then we see that they actually do it. Acts chapter 12 says, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. Acts 13 says the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Acts 19 says in this way the word of the Lord spread widely widely and grew in power. Multiplication is God's plan. It's always been his plan and it's a good plan. The church grew and spread all throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. We see in in 2 Timothy 2.2 that Uh, Paul writing to Timothy, one of the people that he's multiplied and discipled and and been mentoring, he says this, "And and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So one of these disciples, Paul, has been mentoring Timothy. He's coming to the end of his own life and he says, what I've done with you, I want you to go and do that with others also. And then he goes on and tells them to appoint elders in all the towns of a particular region that he's ministering to. Appoint, train, grow, spread, multiply. And they did. And now we're, we're uh, moving on from the history written in Scripture. Um, so yeah, this isn't the Bible. This is just what we know from, from history. By the year 350 AD, 31.5 million people, or 53% of the Roman Empire, perset, like professed Christ. And the church spread into India, Africa, Asia, the Americas, all over the world, even to the other side side of the globe, the bottom of nowhere to Australia. 
probably literally almost the other side of the world. I think the other side of the world is in Spain from Australia, so almost the other side of the world. God's people, the church, is growing, is multiplying. Are you on board? Some people might throw out some objections to this, especially those who are very, like, uh, Western-centric. You might say, isn't the church shrinking? You're telling me it's growing, it's multiplying. It's not what the nightly news told me. No, what you're witnessing there is the, is the death of Christendom. Or the death of people kind of just being Christian because, hey, we're all descended from England and we're all Christians, right? That's what you're witnessing. You're not witnessing the actual decline of the church. It's people ticking a box that's declining. In fact, if you look even in Australia and even in the USA and the UK where churches are seemingly in serious decline, people who are actually uh, belonging to Bible-believing teaching churches, people who are actually regularly being a part of those communities, attendance is actually going up. What's going down is people ticking a box, and what's going down is, is, I would say, it's actually helpful because then we know really who actually does know Jesus. And the other objection you might have if you were here and you're not a Christian, you might say, why is this good? I, I don't want... Why is this... Why It sounds a little cultishy. Multiply, multiply, multiply. And you know what? If you don't understand the gospel, it would sound pretty cultishy. You know, like a, almost like a pyramid scheme, maybe. Why is this good news, this multiplication? Why is disciples who make disciples... Why is churches who plant churches? Why is discipleship groups who train up leaders and plant more discipleship groups? Why is that a good thing? We believe it's good because we believe that Jesus is truly God. That he is good news and that he cares for you and that true life is found in him alone. And if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that Jesus is God, that he came into human history, that he died to redeem a people for himself, that he rose again defeating death, and that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead, you would want people to know about that. And you would want people to grow in that and to love him and to honour him and to live in a way that glorified that. And so I have a challenge for us as a church. This is as much to myself as it is for all of you. Are we taking up the call to multiply? To make disciples? To have more people glorifying God? We, we strive to do this as a church by multiplying our discipleship groups and disciples making disciples and, and multiplying churches and planting more churches. But also, we should all be doing this personally as well. Perhaps participating in those things and the fact that you're at a church plant means that you are participating in that. Sorry if you didn't know that, you are. There you go. But we can all do this in our own lives personally as well. And I want to challenge you to live your life for something that matters eternally. Believe it or not, this is a controversial statement, what I'm about to say. There are hundreds of people going to hell, never hearing the real gospel. 
There are churches in Adelaide where you can't say that, by the way. There are community, Christian communities where you can't say that, but it's true. There are hundreds of people going to hell who have never heard the gospel. Never knowing the real Jesus. Never having heard the true word about who he is. Are you okay with that? Does that sit comfortably with you? Because I hope it disturbs you a little bit. And I think sometimes we think it's okay and sometimes we can let ourselves off the hook and I'm guilty of this as much as the next person. We think it's okay because people in our culture have heard about Jesus. So like they've all had the chance, right? And so we kind of let ourselves off the hook. You talk about Jesus and they say, yeah, I've heard of him. But, but let, it, let me put it to you and put it to myself that people may have heard the name of Jesus but many hundreds and thousands of them have never heard of the real Jesus. People have heard some things about Jesus, but I think if you go a little bit deeper with people and ask them, tell me about the Jesus that you've heard of, it's not the Jesus Christ that we worship. It's a cultural imagining of Jesus. It's not the real Jesus. So we can't let ourselves off the hook because people haven't heard of the real Jesus who really is God, who really does love them, clearly. There's a lot of false ideas about who Jesus is out there. And it may, in fact, be more, more challenging to tell people who have heard about Jesus, who think they've heard about Jesus, it may be more challenging to, to tell them who Jesus really is than to tell people who've never heard about him. Private schools are like a sucker for this, right? They suck. Private schools and forced religion, like forced chapel every week, pretty much inoculate people to the gospel. Now, some people go to that kind of atmosphere and become a Christian there, and, and that's amazing, and you're rare. But this idea of, of forced religion and, and sending people to chapel and all that kind of stuff, there's probably some good merit in it somewhere. But people think they've heard the gospel. They think they've heard Jesus. They've had a, a religious education class in school, and they think, yeah, I know what Christianity is about, and I don't want it. But people haven't heard the real gospel. They haven't heard who the real Jesus is. We need to make sure that we know the real gospel about Jesus. And then when we talk to people and tell them about Jesus, we're not just kind of casually putting it out there, although you know, that's all right too, but we actually investigate. If you say you've heard about Jesus and you don't want him, tell me about the Jesus that you don't want. Tell me about the Jesus that you've heard about because most of the time it's not going to be who Jesus really is. And I want to challenge all of us, myself included, for this as well. When Jesus spent time on earth, uh, one of the things that was the accusations leveled against him was that he was a glutton and a drunk and a friend of sinners. Could you be accused with Jesus along with him of being a friend of sinners? Could you be accused of being a friend of sinners? And I don't mean friends with sinners because uh, we are actually all sinners. So everyone's friends with sinners unless you don't have any friends and then if you're really bad for you, I want to give you a hug. All right, you can be my friend. Not friends with sinners, but a friend of sinners. Could that be said of you? And a friend of is different than just being friends with because if you are of someone, you're for them. 
You want the best for them, a true friend. As a disciple, a follower of Jesus, are you multiplying yourself, desiring that people would meet Jesus, the real Jesus? Who are you pouring yourself out for to love and redeem? Who are you praying for? Who are you trying to build a relationship with? And who are you having grace for to spend time with who may be difficult to spend time with? Just some simple ideas. Join a discipleship group. Groups of anywhere between 6 and 12-ish people who do the Christian life together, who are led into deeper discipleship and who, who seek to live out the kingdom and, and encourage one another. Perhaps even lead a discipleship group. Be trained and, and released to lead a group, to multiply that, to expand discipleship, to see more people be trained up and, and, and discipled and loved. Why not read the Bible with a friend who doesn't know Jesus? And I would encourage you to offer first. Don't just start reading and chase them around the room. But offer to read the Bible. You'd be surprised how many people would say yes. The last, the last guy that I was a part of, um, God, God drawing and God, uh, him becoming a Christian, all we did is we, he came around once a week and we read through one of the Gospels together. It took, took a year because English was his second language. Um, and we did that and he's a Christian. And all I did was offer to read the Bible with him. I'm not special. I can just read. Have your neighbours over for dinner. Or why not even Christmas drinks? It's seasonal. And don't be stingy. Buy the good beer. All right? We're Christians. We believe that God provides. So what are we doing as a church about multiplication? Well, we want to plant more churches and we want to raise up more leaders, as we've been looking at. I see, God willing, hundreds of people worshipping God here in North Adelaide, reaching out to the students of this area, reaching out to the residents of this area. I see people who have lived their lives only for money finding new meaning. This area is full of retirees and people who are very wealthy, many of them who have just lived their lives to accumulate money for themselves with no meaning. I see these people finding new meaning. I see people looking for hope, finding hope. I see us as a church training and sending out a team to perhaps Modbury, Tea Tree Plaza area to plant a new church. And then sending out another group to perhaps Norwood, Elizabeth, Gola, beyond. So that more people could hear the gospel and glorify God. Uh, Multiplication is sometimes more traditionally, sometimes called mission. And so I want to finish with this quote, uh, which is from uh, an author and pastor called John John Piper, uh, from his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He writes this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. 
Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of peoples in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, and let many coastlands be glad. Psalm 97. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 67. But worship is also the fuel of mission. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord, I will be glad and exalt thee, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Missions or multiplication begins and ends in worship. If you are not feeling a burden and a desire to see more people glorifying God, you need to worship. As we glorify God and are thankful to him, we fuel our desire to follow him and to have others know him too. My prayer for us, and I'm going to pray now, is that God would speak to us and give us a deep love for those in our city who do not yet know him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in your love you made us to reflect and glorify you, Lord. And that in glorifying and reflecting you, we find our rest. We find fulfillment and true joy. Jesus, I pray that you would give us uh, hearts for lost people in our city and beyond. That you would burden us with a desire to see more people know you, glorify you and live in you for their joy and your glory. Lord, I pray that you would give us a dissatisfaction with the status quo, but you would help us to truly desire the transformation of our city, the good of our city, the good of its people. And by your spirit, you would transform our hearts and minds to this end. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.